Well, I was in my late 20s when I went to a leadership event, and the moderator broke us into groups of 10, and I ended up in a group of all men, and they were mostly in their 40s. Again, I was in my late 20s, and the topic was group dynamics, and so what the, the, the moderator decided to do was to have us discuss best friends. And uh, so he gave us a question and told us to get started, and in my group, there was absolute silence. No one said anything until it got really awkward when one guy sarcastically said, best friend, who has friends anymore? And uh, another guy said, yeah, maybe in college, but not now. Someone else agreed, and finally one guy said, well, I have this friend, he's from high school, and he just moved back to the cities, oh, maybe a year ago, and he said, we got together, and it was like we just picked up where we left off. He said, but we haven't gotten together anymore because we're just too busy. And I was frankly stunned. Now, again, I'm in my late 20s, and I'd been through some lonely times in high school and a little bit of a rocky transition to moving to the cities, but, but I had some close friends, probably 10 or 12 people that I could call up and just you know, feel like I picked up where I left off. Most of them were here. A few of them lived other places. But I just took it for granted that each year you sort of collected one more more friends um, along the way to an ever-growing list of satisfying friendships. And instead, what I heard that day was an abrupt introduction to the friendless American male. The topic of loneliness caught my attention a little over a year ago when I saw a headline uh, that said that in the UK, Prime Minister Theresa May had appointed a minister of loneliness. And then I read that the U.S. Surgeon General, or former U.S. Surgeon General, had publicly warned about an epidemic of loneliness. And he was responding to things that they were finding out, particularly in the medical community. Uh, he said that 40% of Americans report feeling lonely much of the time. And some say that might be even higher. Since then, I've seen um, mentions of loneliness that have included surveys that suggest that um, people report having a best friend, that number is falling. There's a question that they've asked people for decades now, and it has to do with, you know, do you have somebody you could call at 3 a.m. in the morning if you had an emergency? And oh, 40, 50 years ago, people would say, yeah, I got four or five people I could call. And today, the answer is like one or zero. That's what it's like. Now, you think, okay, a few people are lonely, what's the big deal? Well, other than the obvious, and that is that it sucks being alone on a Friday night when you'd really like to be doing something, there are all sorts of other problems associated with loneliness. For example, people who report being lonely have shorter lifespans, the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness has an impact, um, more of an impact on shortening our lives than obesity. It's associated with greater risks of heart disease and diabetes and depression and anxiety and even dementia. And that doesn't include those who will die by suicide or who try to mask the pain with drugs and alcohol. So, does that mean that you need a dozen friends or even three or four or five? No, not necessarily, but you do need one, at least one. So loneliness and isolation is literally killing us. Friends are important. They're important for our mental, physical, and emotional health. And it's not just scientists and physicians who are calling our attention to the problem. It's actually something that's consistent with the message of the Bible. In fact, the importance of friendship is laid out from the beginning of the very first book that we have, the book of Genesis. In Genesis 1.27, we're told that God created humankind in His image, and in the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. So, by the way, I don't know if you know, but God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, plurality. There's a relationality wired into God. So when He creates us in His image, He's creating us for relationship. That doesn't make us little gods, but it does mean that we have similarities to the way that God 
thinks and is wired and, and, and who he is. In the very next chapter in the Bible, chapter 2, it's describing how God created humankind. And there's this statement. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man, that's Adam, to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So from the beginning, companionship, the need for friendship was recognized. It's part of what it is to be human. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. And we should never deny it. To be healthy psychologically and spiritually, we need to pursue God and to make great friends. So it turns out that we are hardwired for relationships, just in the way that we're made. And when we find ourselves alone, we feel a lack of that. King David was one of Israel's greatest leaders. People followed him. People were all around him. But even had, he had his own struggles. One time he described his own experience of loneliness in Psalm 142. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell him my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, look and see. There's no one at my right hand. No one's concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. That's honest and raw in the way that he expresses it. Commonly, there are two proposals made for how to cure loneliness, and one leans heavily on psychology and concentrates primarily on helping us learn to feel good about ourselves and making connections with others so that we can have meaningful relationships. And in a moment, you'll, you'll find out that I believe there's great wisdom in what psychologists and others have discovered about building meaningful relationships. And yet, it's not quite enough. The other side is to think solely of spiritual solutions. The idea is that all you need is Jesus. And so people will read something like Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Some even go so far as to say that human relationships don't mean very much, that we should be satisfied with a friendship with God. Now, I know that not all of you would call yourselves Christians. In fact, some of you are here because you're just trying to figure this out, trying to understand the Christian view of the way of looking at the world. And so when you hear this Jesus is my buddy idea, alarm bells start going off in your heads, and you think, God, this doesn't seem right. We need friends. That and about a thousand pop songs that talk about um, how we need, need somebody. Um, the idea that Jesus alone is enough doesn't make sense because you know it's not maybe the way that it works. But maybe at the same time, you are a Christian and maybe you're suspicious of an overly psychological explanation. I've had people tell me about times when they've been utterly alone in terms of friends and yet have found God to be with them at some of the lowest of times, an unusual sense of God's presence. And here's an example of that, again from King David from Psalm 139. Where he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are also there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. And I've had experiences like that, times when for one reason or another, I've felt utterly alone, and yet I've known that God is with me. I've had a comfort and a peace that's profound and real. So what is it, psychology or the spiritual? And the answer is both. Some who lean toward the psycho psychological try to exclude God from the equation, and others who emphasize the spiritual belittle the psychological. But the reality is we need both. 
We need God and we need friends. And the Bible agrees. And I'm going to give you an example, and it might surprise you who I'm going to use as the example. And it's Jesus. If anyone could have gotten by with just the spiritual, it would be him, wouldn't it? But we're told that Jesus both spent time with people and regularly pulled away to spend time with God. One of the things we talked about just a couple of weeks ago was from Mark chapter 1, where Jesus spent an entire day full of people, lots and lots of people. The next morning, he pulled aside to spend time with God. It said he left very early in the morning while it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. He spent some time with God, and then he spent another full day with people. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was human. And yes, he was divine as well. He's both human and divine, fully God and fully man. The human part of him was real. He needed food, he needed sleep, and he needed friends. Let me give you an example where both of those come together. And it's taken from the last night, or actually almost the last early morning of Jesus' life. What had happened is Jesus and his friends, his disciples, had had a dinner, a meal together, and then they had gone out. They'd gone to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, which is outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. It's a place that they had gone together before, a place where they prayed regularly, and so they went there. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that soon he would be arrested, he would be tried, he would be sentenced to death, he would be beaten, and then he would be nailed to a cross. And he was fearing this. He he was anxious of the horror of all of this. And so he went to pray to his heavenly father. And while he did that, he asked his disciples for a favor. He said, would you sit here while I go over there and pray? So he needed to be alone with his heavenly father. But he also wanted his friends nearby. This, again, was one of the most difficult moments in Jesus' life. And the horror of what he was facing was overwhelming him. With deep honesty, he asks God for another way. Can you just find another way for this to happen? And he prays the same thing three times, and in the end, he submits to God's will. It's a moment of surrender to God. But in between each one of those prayers, he goes back to his friends and finds that they're sleeping. Instead of hanging with him through thick and thin, each time he found that they had abandoned him in one way or another. So do you see what's going on here? In this time of turmoil, a time of feeling alone with the task that was ahead of him, he went alone to be with his father. And yet at the same time, he had a deep need for companionship, for human friendship. Obviously, we shouldn't see, or maybe I shouldn't say obviously, but the Christian perspective on Jesus is that he was neither sinful nor weak. So the lesson we should take away is that in seeking God and the companionship of good friends was appropriate and right. That's what Jesus was, fully divine and fully human in that moment. As we mentioned earlier, God's made us in his image, and that means that we need friends, and it also means that we need God, and we need both. Now, I want to shift in the time we have remaining to talk a little bit about friendship, how we build friendships, how we can think about it. And let me just say that it's important to be realistic about friendships. Research suggests that we can only handle so many relationships at one time. Uh, The number varies per person, but uh, some have identified a number of around 150 uh, friends that you can can stay in contact with on a regular basis. Um, By the way, one example of that, how that average plays it out, is that most households in America, the average number of Christmas cards that people send out is about 120. So you see the idea there is that we have this pool of people we can stay connected to. But not everyone in that 150 is at the same level. There are actually some concentric rings around the depth of friendships within that 150. 
So, for example, it may be made up of three to five really intimate friends, people you can share everything with. Uh, Maybe another 12 to 15 close friends, people you really are connected to. And then another 50 good friends, and the rest are people you stay regularly in contact with but may not have the same depth of relationship. By the way, beyond that, there is a whole other series of acquaintances and then even maybe more that you can remember names and faces of. But those you keep in contact with regularly, probably numbers in the neighborhood of 150. Jesus' friendships and his relationships fit that pattern as well. He was consistently surrounded by crowds. We know that there was a larger group of both women and men who traveled intermittently with him. Um, That probably was maybe 50 or so. Then there were 12 close friends, those that they call the disciples. And then there was an inner core of three, Peter, James, and John, who were closest to Jesus. And there were others, like Lazarus and Mary and Martha, who were very close to Jesus. And that's the pattern that most of us follow. And yet sometimes we find ourselves without all those friend slots filled up. So maybe you've moved recently. um, Or maybe you've switched companies and a few people you were close to you just no longer see. Or maybe it's something more difficult, challenging like a divorce or the death of a loved one. And that loss, whatever it is, has, has left a hole in your life. So how do we build or even rebuild the kinds of friendships that we all deeply crave? Well, we need to remember that friendships don't just happen. In fact, in many ways, friendships today are harder. We're more mobile, which means every time we move, whether that's from Chicago to St. Paul or St. Paul to Minneapolis, we end up leaving a friend or two behind. And even though, as we talked about last week, smartphones and social media make it easier to connect, it's never quite the same. Just the mere fact that we're trying to stay connected to 1,367 friends means, by definition, those are going to be more shallow relationships. That is, unless we do something to change that dynamic. The main thing we need to do is to prioritize friendship. We need to learn to go home a little bit early from work, at least one or two nights a week, to take a walk with a friend or have dinner Or maybe get up a little bit early on a Friday morning uh, to have breakfast with a friend. There's someone here at City Church who told me about a year ago that he's been meeting with the same group of guys every Friday morning for over 20 years. You can't help but get close to someone if you spend that much time with them. Another way to do that here at City Church is to join a growth group, a small group of 8 to 12 who meet regularly, usually twice a month, to read the Bible together, to share, and to pray. If you make that a priority, you will make a friend or two. And you may make a close friend. The point here is to be intentional. One of the easiest ways to build deep friendships is to start with somebody that you already know, maybe an acquaintance, and go deeper with that person. They say, researchers tell us, that it takes about 50 hours to make a good friend and to make a really close friend may take as many as 200. And I know that sounds daunting, sounds like a lot of hours, but you do it a little bit at a time and you can build that kind of friendship. By the way, that's why so many of us have built lifelong friendships in college. We all thought we were busy, but we had loads and loads of time to spend time with our friends. So get started. Commit to spending time. Put it on the calendar. Make it regular. But start spending time with one or two or three people. Another key is to slowly and appropriately be vulnerable. Now, this can be a tricky balance. I know there are some people who have the tendency to disclose too much too soon, and can, that can be kind of overwhelming. But others are so private that the conversation never gets below the surface. If you're a private type, I'm not telling you to sort of bury your soul the first time, but little by little, begin to reveal a little bit about yourself. Do it appropriately, but take risks to be able to tell others about who you are 
and then in see, turn see what they will reveal to you. Again, not all at once, but over time. The quality of our friendships is directly proportional to the level of self-disclosure. Again, appropriately, of course. Something else. Make sure that some of your time is what I would call side-by-side -side time. And what I mean is do something together. Don't just sit around and talk. Do something active. Well, maybe it's serving the homeless at the Simpson shelter or doing something creative. Doing something you enjoy with someone else side-by-side. -side. Sometimes you learn more about someone by watching them and having an experience with them than you do by simply talking about yourselves. And be patient. Be realistic. Yes, people are busy. It takes time, but make it a priority and it will happen. One other thought, and that is to make sure you're not a relational snob. We all should have people in our lives that we love being with. People who make us laugh, who fill us up every time that we're with them. And there are some people who are easy to be with. And it's good to have people like that in your life. But you also need to remember that Christian community is not exclusive, it's inclusive. That means that we should reach out to people, whether it's easy or not. And reach out even if we feel like we have enough friends. Sometimes the reason you need a new friend is because someone else needs you. One of the miracles of the Christian church is the way that people who may not normally connect in life become dear friends. That means we must often think about Christian community in a way um, of not just asking what we can get out of it, but what we can give. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a little book called uh, Life Together, and in it he reminds us that what should make the Christian church unique is that it's a community based not on natural affinity, but on our common bond in Jesus Christ. So Christian community is something based not exclusively on natural affinity, but on our common bond in Christ. Every once in a while, I'm struck at how someone I would have never chosen as a friend has suddenly become quite dear to me. So years ago, I met someone with whom I had nothing, virtually nothing in common. I think we both like watching the NFL a little bit. That was about it. Um, to make it more challenging, he was socially awkward. Um, but he needed a friend, and he decided that I would be a good friend. And at first, I was annoyed. He called me regularly, and I mean not just every week, sometimes every day. Um, he would ask to have lunch, and if I had let him, we'd have lunch once a week. I kind of drew a boundary and said, okay, let's, let's do it once a month. But over time, something remarkable happened. Although I shouldn't have been too surprised, we actually became friends. Now, he moved away a number of years ago, but we still keep in touch. We talk probably every couple of months. He just sent me an email this week. We're in contact regularly, and he's still socially awkward. Sometimes our phone calls are really labored, and yet I've developed an affection for him that I never would have expected, never would have thought possible. So Bonhoeffer is right. Christian community should lead us deeper in our relationship with God and with one another, regardless of natural affinity. Then he makes this convicting statement in this little book. He says, The exclusion of the weak and the insignificant, the seemingly useless people from Christian community, may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. The exclusion of the weak and the insignificant, the seemingly useless people from a Christian community, may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. That means that part of what it means to be a Christian is reaching out to those who have nothing at all to offer us. Last year, a little 10-year-old boy named Tommy, who goes to an elementary school in Invergrove Heights, noticed a problem on the playground. He noticed that there were some kids who had no one to play with. They didn't have any friends. And it made him sad. 
So Tommy went to the school principal and said, how about if we put a bench, we'll call it the buddy bench, and anybody who doesn't have a friend to play with can go sit on the bench, and then the rest of us can go grab them and bring them into the games. And the principal said, well, that's kind of expensive, Tommy. We have all these codes in Minnesota about how things ought to be constructed, and it's going to cost like five or $600. Tommy said, no problem. And he went and raised the money that it cost to put this bench in and installed it, and they put this sign on it that said, buddy bench. And pretty soon, kids would sit at it, and another kid would go grab them, and they'd play together. And what Tommy did is he noticed a place of hurt, a place of pain in his elementary school. By the way, remember elementary school? It can be a really pretty lonely time. And he, by creating the buddy bench, Tommy created something that fought loneliness for much of the, many of the vulnerable among us, in his case, in his elementary school. The longing for friendship is pervasive. It's something hardwired in us. And with all the people around us who feel lonely, we ought to be able to make a connection or two. But first, we need to get off our phones, stop working so much, and take a risk or two, and begin to put in the hours to build a friend. Realistically, we are all going to go through a lonely time or two or three in our lives. It's maybe after a move or when we change companies or after something more traumatic like a divorce or death or other significant event. And in those times, we need to remember that as important as human relationships are, we also need to nurture our relationship with God, to draw close to Him. The truth is, is that God meets our need for a kind of companionship that only He can provide. In Psalm 68, David writes this, Sing to God, sing in praise of His name, extol Him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before Him, His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He's talking about both dimensions here, a relationship with God and our spiritual community, our church family. Our culture celebrates individualism, the idea that we get to call the shots and we can do whatever we want. That ends up making life more about me than it does about we. Christian faith is unique. It first of all celebrates the dignity of each individual, but it also tells us that we are more than just a loose collective of people. It tells us that we're to come together in a unified community, the church. A couple of years ago, we shared a vision uh, with you for the next few years in our history as a church. We called it Forecast and summarized it in, in four words. Invited into a relationship with Jesus, to belong to a community of love, to become more like Jesus, and to sacrifice or serve others sacrificially. And the antidote to loneliness is found in the second of these values, to belong. To experience Christian community, sharing the joys and difficulties of life together. To meet brokenness with grace and forgiveness and compassion. And to extend Christian love, caring deeply and loving others the way that God loves us, extending grace to all. So why friendship? Well, because it's one of our deepest human needs, especially in life's most difficult moments. What we deeply crave is to be a part of a community of love where we can be connected to God and one another in deep and meaningful ways. Let's pray. Father, you've created us in your image, and so the desires that we have come directly from you. And so often we're tempted either to ignore them or not to invest in them, uh, to put other things first in our lives like work and other things like that. Father, may we be healthy in the way that we pursue relationships and friendships. May we invest in them, taking the initiative sometimes even with people that we would not normally choose to be with. We pray, Father, that you would give us a depth of relationship with you that would help us in the loneliest of times.
but that you would also give us friends, friends who love us and care for us and whom we can love in turn and care for in return. We thank you, Father, for this need that we have because it comes from you. And may we find in you the deepest and and most meaningful of relationships, a relationship with you and your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.